Welcome to Team Peds Talks, newest summer mini-series brought to you by the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners, or NAPNAP, an organization of experts in pediatrics and advocates for children. Thank you for joining us today for our episode. This series of podcasts includes conversations with experts in pediatric healthcare with a focus on promoting a safe and healthy summer. I am your host, Dr. Andrea Klein-Tilford, NAPNAP's Executive Board President. I am a pediatric nurse practitioner, nurse practitioner director at C.S. Mott Children's Hospital in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and mother of two children. Welcome to this episode on summer preparedness. Summer is a great season for outdoor activities, relaxation, and exploration of new places and adventures. However, summer activities can have some hidden risks that require planning and preparation. Everything from weather, climate change, water activities, exploring nature, and much more. I am thrilled to be joined today by two pediatric experts on summer preparedness, Kat Goodhue and Tina Rickenback. Kat Goodhue is a pediatric nurse practitioner with over 30 years of pediatric experience. She earned her BSN from Georgetown University and her MN from UCLA. Currently, she is the outpatient trauma clinic pediatric nurse practitioner at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. She has conducted pediatric disaster preparedness research in various populations, lectured regionally and nationally, and co-edited Nursing Management of Pediatric Disaster. She is the co-chair of NAPNAP's Children in Disasters Special Interest Group. Tina Rickenback earned her BSN from the Catholic University of America and her MSN from the Yale University School of Nursing. She is a primary care pediatric nurse practitioner at Wildwood Pediatrics in Connecticut and a retired captain from the U.S. Naval Services with over 20 years of experience. She participated in mass casualty exercises and was deployed to a tent hospital during Operation Desert Storm. Tina is a member of her local Medical Reserve Corps, has written articles for the lay press about emergency preparedness, and is the co-chair of NAPNAP's Children and Disasters Special Interest Group. Thank you both for joining me today for this discussion. I'm excited about this conversation about how pediatric-focused APRNs can help families prepare for a safe and fun summer. First, let's start off with what does it mean to be prepared and why is being prepared important for our patients and families? So being prepared means to be ready for any kind of emergency or situation. It's very important to have an emergency plan for your home and also to have a communication plan and an emergency kit. I personally have an emergency kit in my home, in my car and under my desk at work. For our families, great resources are the American Red Cross and also uh, ready.gov. They have templates of communication plans, templates for your emergency plan, and lists, checklists for creating an emergency kit. 
What's also important once you have a plan and a communication plan for your home is to practice doing drills with the family for the kids to know where to meet outside the home in the neighborhood. Everybody should know each other's cell phone number, number from memory because uh, your phone may die and then all of your contacts are gone. You can do little ID cards and laminate them. That has everybody of importance, their cell phone numbers. Uh, if you have pets in the home, you wanna be prepared for them. Also, if you have elderly family members thing, and children or adults with special health care needs, they may need additional preparations. Uh, in your kit, you should have, you know, water, non-perishable foods, medications, some cash, if you have pets, some food, all those kinds of things. We all want to keep ourselves and our families as well as our patients as safe as, as safe as possible. And being prepared helps decrease the risk of something bad happening. You also need to know what kind of specific weather type events are common in your area. Like, do you live in Tornado Alley? Are you on the East Coast or the Panhandle where there's hurricanes? I live in California. We have wildfires. We're also at risk for tsunamis. So things like that, flood zones, you kind of need to know what type of issues are common in your area. And specifically for summer fun, you know, our excessive heat warnings, the, you know, the East Coast, you have the three H's, hazy, hot, and humid. So knowing what kind of uh, conditions could be possible. Also in California, the West Coast, we have earthquakes. So we always have to be prepared. Well, that is really great, Kat. And, you know, I really enjoyed the part that you talked about these emergency kits and how many places that you have them located and thinking to myself that, you know what, I have a little more work to do. And I, I know I'm going to be learning a lot during our conversation today. And so I really appreciate that. And as a dog person, um, being prepared for our pets too, being very important. Um, so when we're talking, you already touched a little bit on weather. So I'm wondering if we can talk just a little bit more about that and, and some of the extreme weather conditions associated with climate change and how we can um, best protect our children. Okay, so um, the great thing about weather is it's always there. The other thing about weather is that it can't always be predicted completely. So there are, um, you should know what the weather conditions are where you live, but a lot of times I think people forget to check about where they're going on vacation to check the weather conditions where they're going to be visiting. If you're in an area where you're not used to thunderstorms um, and lightning, then you may not think to check the weather for that. If you're in an area where um, it hardly ever rains and it's always dry, you might not even think about could there be flooding if there's rain far above where you are? The other thing is that um, 
when you need to be weather aware. So you may want to get an app on your phone that can notify of you, you of weather. Um, you might want to watch the local weather stations to see what kind of weather is being um, uh, spoken of in your area. Uh, in the summer, especially uh, hurricanes, thunderstorms, lightning, tornadoes, and flooding can be big issues. And the flooding, of course, can lead to concern about drowning in general. And different ways that we can protect our children really depends on where you are and what your risks are. So being aware of what your risks are is very, very important. Well, thank so you. Oh, one of the main things that you could, of course, that we associate with summertime is heat. And so infants and children, as well as the elderly, are at higher risk for developing hyperthermia and the, uh, also those with underlying chronic conditions. So two of the things that we need to be aware of most are heat exhaustion and heat stroke. Heat exhaustion in kids, you, you'll have an elevate or the child will have an elevated body temperature, usually between 100 and 104 Fahrenheit. Their skin may feel cool and clammy despite the heat. They may have goosebumps, dizzy, fainting, headaches, increased sweating, increased thirst and irritability. Now heat stroke is a medical emergency. So that's their body temperature is above 104. They've stopped sweating. They're confused, disoriented. The skin is flushed, hot and dry. They may lose consciousness, start vomiting, severe headaches. But for heat exhaustion, or if you have a child with possible heat stroke, you want to bring the child indoors or into the shade immediately, undress them as much as possible, have them lie down, raise their feet a little bit, may put some lukewarm uh, spray water on them. If they're alert, you could give them some cool, clear liquids. Again, if they're vomiting, turn them onto their side to prevent choking. So again, with hyperthermia, things we need to think about is making sure we're well hydrated, especially if you're doing activities in the hot, sunny weather. Uh, even if you're not thirsty, you need to keep drinking. You wanna try to plan activities more in the early morning or in the later afternoon if you're going to be exerting yourself with sports or hiking, those types of things. Look for shaded areas, wear hats, sunscreen, those types of things. And teach the kids to come indoors immediately when they feel like they're overheating. And, you know, a, a lot like here in California, when we have our hot summer weather, we have um, cooling centers. I know they have those on the East Coast too. A lot of our homes at the beach, we don't have air conditioning, but it can get very hot inside. So the library, they have AC, things like that. Another heat related issue is child deaths in a hot car. So 
87% of kids who have died in a hot car are aged three years and younger. And most of these deaths are, the children have loving, responsible parents who unknowingly leave the child in the car, rear-facing car seats. I mean, doesn't look like there's a child in there or not. Uh, a child's body overheats three to five times faster than an adult body. So some preventive issues, I know people say, well, I've got the car the, the car windows cracked. The inside of a car can reach 125 degrees Fahrenheit in minutes, even with the windows cracked. So ways to prevent this from happening is keep your a child item or a diaper bag in your front passenger seat. So it's a cue that you've got your child in the back keeping your needed items like your work bag in the back seat. So you check the back seat every time you leave the car. Uh, if you see a child in a car alone, you should call 911. Uh, last year in the US, there were 23 child hot car deaths. Uh, 2018 was a really bad year. There were 54 deaths. So the average number of deaths per year is 39. So that comes to one in every nine days. So again, it's very important to educate our families. And this also applies to your pets. Don't leave your pets in the car either. And if you do see a child in a car all alone, you need to call 911. And if they don't look too great, you need to get in there as soon as possible. Now, the other thing we see with heat is wildfires. And I just looked this morning on the national, oh, what's it called? National Interagency Fire Center. It's a government agency and seven new large fires were reported over this past weekend, three in Texas, two in New Mexico, and one in Oklahoma and Tennessee. Right now there's 3,100 wildland firefighters and support personnel assigned across the, hunt, the country. More than 20,000 human-caused wildfires have burned 1.1 million acres across the country. Lightning also can ignite wildfires. And it turns out, I didn't know this, May is National Wildland Fire Preparedness Month. And it's important to note 89% of all wildfires are caused by people. So again, preventive ish, you know, measures. Fire season, we used to say here in California, it's you know, August through November. Now it's year round with global warming, warming rather, and we're in a drought condition. So if you live in a fire zone or you're visiting a possible fire zone, you need to know your escape routes. And once they tell you to evacuate, you need to do that. So you wanna have, be prepared and know what kinds of things you're gonna pack 
And so that once you get the order, need to prepare to evacuate, that you can rapidly round up your valuables, your photos, your important papers, things like that. Having a go bag. If you live in a fire zone, have fire resistant plants on your property. Uh, keeping masks in case you have to go out and turn off your propane or your nat natural gas supply. You always want to have the weather channel or local news on and know the community evacuation plans. In fact, you should drive your possible evacuation routes if you live in a fire area. And you also wanna limit your smoke exposure. And as we saw a couple of years ago with the town of Paradise, that fire swelled so rapidly, people did not have time to evacuate. So, you know, we do see more and more fires. So it's really important that you do pre prepare your home and your family. Wow. I mean, this, you have provided so much incredible information here about all of these things related to weather and what we need to be thinking about when we're at home or when we travel and, and how can we best be prepared. Um, so thank you so much for that. You know, before moving on to shifting gears to water safety, is there, is there anything else that we need to talk about for um, how healthcare providers can help our patients and families be prepared for extreme weather? Well, as we mentioned earlier, the Red Cross and Ready.gov, as well as the CDC, have fillable communication plans and PDFs of preparing for different disaster or weather-related incidents and how to create a disaster kit. The Red Cross, you can order a, a disaster kit on their website or through Amazon or they have lists so you can build your own. So again, having a family communication plan and having emergency kits, I think are the most important things. Well, perfect. Yeah, I would add, add a couple of other things also, certainly in our anticipatory guidance with our children. Um, when we're doing anticipatory guidance about safety, we can warn about um, travel safety, water safety, drowning safety. We can put information on our website, um, on our news. We have one on our website, which is a news area where we talk about issues that are upcoming. For example, water safety, heat in the summer, that kind of thing. And you can also write articles for the lay press talking about safety issues, hurricanes, tornadoes, et cetera. That is so important, Tina. You know, thank you for mentioning writing articles for the lay press. You know, definitely as advanced practice providers, that is something that we absolutely can be doing. And it's so important to inform the public about some of these safety uh, strategies. So uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about water safety. So while children and their families often find joy and relief from the heat through swimming in the summer, there are some associated risks. Can you talk a little bit about some of those risks? Some of the risks are, first of all, drowning, obviously. That's a huge issue in the summer, um, along with, you know, the hurricanes, tornadoes, thunderstorms, and lightning. Um, 
So in the US, uh, they're, they're predicting that the hurricane season is going to be more active than usual. Hurricane season, you usually think of being June 1st to about November 30th. And in 2022, it's predicted that the Atlantic will be more active than usual with at least 19 named storms and nine hurricanes, four of which could be category three or higher, which are major storms. Uh, the 2021 season was the third most active on record, um, and hurricanes tend to be larger and more powerful as they form over the hotter ocean water, and the surface water of ocean temp is increasing. So um, hurricane preparedness hazards, you have to think of storm surge and tides, heavy rainfall and inland flooding, which can occur, high winds, rip currents and tornadoes. So the storm surge and tides are the greatest threat to life and property along the coast. The major threat for people living inland is heavy rainfall and inland flooding, which can include either flash floods or longer term flooding. Um, when driving and approaching water on a roadway, remember, turn around, don't drown, because you don't know how deep that water is. Strong currents which pull you away from the shore, known as um, rip currents, uh, a good thing to remember about that is know before you go. So you can check the weather reports to see if they're predicting rip tides. Um, you can also check the beach report and be mindful of conditions, swim by lifeguards, look at water from above if possible to see if it looks like there might be a riptide out there. And um, if somebody is does seem to be in trouble in the water, another good thing to remember, do more, stay on shore if you can see someone caught in a rip current. Uh, don't Also, don't swim near man-made structures in the water, especially like they used to always play under the pilings at the, uh, at the um, arcade at the beach. Um, most often, tornadoes occur in a thunderstorm and not near the eye wall of a hurricane, but they can recur anywhere. And the Storm Prediction Center, the National Service, can get um, a local forecast by putting your zip code in and finding out what the um, windstorm, tornado risk, and wildfire risks are in your area. So. Another issue that you come up with in the summer, along with the thunderstorms, is lightning. And lightning actually causes the thunder. Uh, so it's not possible to have thunder without lightning. Um, and lightning, as Kat had already mentioned, can lead to uh, wildfires. Lightning can strike where it is not raining or before rain reaches the ground. And that's what's called a bolt from the blue. You may have heard that. And that's a cloud to ground lightning that travels horizontally away from the cloud before going to the ground. And it can strike a spot that's even six miles away from um, uh, the actual storm. And over the lower 48 states, there's an average of 20 million cloud to uh, ground flashes a year. So it's not unusual to have lightning. Um, the odds of, of being struck by lightning is low. Uh, one in 1.2 million. Um, but when a good thing to remember is when thunder roars, go indoors. And you have to wait at least 30 minutes after the last thunder. So, you know, and anybody who's been at a pool when there's thunder has gone off and uh, 
you know, you have to get out of the pool for 20 or 30 minutes and find shelter. So, and shelter is, uh, is important. You need to have a four-sided shelter. Going under a pavilion is not shelter. Um, hiding under a tree is not good shelter. And there's more information on that on the various websites about lightning. And again, lightning can cause wildfires. So the other thing you can see is tornadoes. Um, and our tornadoes are reported in all 50 states. Um, and you, a tornado watch means be prepared. Get your emergency plan, check your supplies, find your safe room, or just be sure your safe room is available. Uh, or a tornado warning means take action if your tornado has been spotted on the ground. Um, and again, taking shelter from the storm, be ready with your supplies. Flooding is another big issue that happens with the weather. Um, turn around, don't drown is a good thing to remember. Six inches of water can knock you off your feet. 12 inches can float a small SUV or car and 18 inches of water uh, can flood, uh, of flood water can float a large vehicle, which is really crazy to me. Uh, electrical safety when it comes to flooding, don't go into a basement or any room if water covers the outlets or if cords are submerged. If you see sparks or you hear buzzing, crackling, snapping, or popping, get out. I think the other thing we need to think about is swimming pools. A lot of people have pools and unfortunately a lot of kids end up drowning in the pool or the jacuzzi despite adults being around. So if you're going to a pool party or you're hosting a pool party or your child's going to a pool party, make sure that there is an adult who's dedicated is the pool watcher, you know, with a hat, they're not drinking, they're, their main focus is to watch the children in the pool. Because unfortunately, a lot of kids do drown in swimming pools. Um, right, drowning, that that brings up a really good point, Kat, about the drowning. It's the leading cause of death for children in the US ages one to four. Uh, and more children in that age group will drown from, uh, or will die from drowning than um, anything else except birth defects. Uh, and ages one to four, it's the second leading cause of unintentional injury after a motor vehicle accident. Yeah. Children, yeah, children at highest uh, risk for are at the highest risk for drowning, but really anyone can drown. And um, it's estimated that about 3,960 fatal unintentional drownings uh, in, this was, I believe in 2018. Um, and there are 8,080 8, non-fatal drownings a year. A non-fatal drowning can result in cost costly hospital stays and even long-term health problems. Higher risk for drowning, again, the children one to four, most of the time that's in the swimming pool. Uh, males are nearly 80% of the people who die from drowning um, could be related to increased exposure to water, risk-taking behaviors, alcohol use. Some racial or ethnic groups such as American Indian or Alaskan uh, natives or um, some people of color could be at higher risk. Uh, people with seizure disorders and certain medical conditions, autism and heart conditions may be at higher risk also. So drowning prevention really is very important. 
uh, learn water safety and basic swimming, build fences that are around pools, um, and supervise closely. I remember when my kids were swimming, if they were in the water, I closed the book and I didn't talk to my friends. I just watched what they were doing. So I think it, it, quality supervision is really important. You can also learn about life jackets and boating um, through the um, US Coast Guard. They have a website about that. Yeah, speaking of boating, in 2018, 77% of all fatal boating accidents, the victims actually drowned. And of those who drowned, 84% were not wearing a life, a life jacket. So again, it, it sounds like we're saying don't even go on a family vacation. Everything's so scary. Um, but you know, if you have small kids, even older kids who don't know how to swim, there are, you know, there's a large number of people in the US who don't know how to swim. So they need to wear a US Coast Guard approved life jacket. Um, again, younger kids are at higher risk for hypothermia. So, you know, they're, yeah, it's a hot summer day, but you know, here in California, the Colorado River is about 60 degrees, but the air temperature is 120 you can still get hypothermia. So, you know, keeping dry blankets and towels if the kids are shivering. And anybody who's gonna be around the water should know basic water rescue skills and CPR. You know, talking, having this conversation today is really enlightening because really talking about these statistics really just reinforces why we're having this conversation and sharing, you know, your expertise today through this podcast, because it, it just highlights what we should be thinking about, what we should be um, talking to our patients and families about. And so um, really some astounding facts. Um, when thinking about um, boating, um, since it's a popular summer activity as well, are there some risks for children? And, and is there a particular guidance that we can give to families about boating? Again, making sure that there are US Coast Guard approved life jackets and that the kids wear them, they're appropriately sized. Um, you know, just being on the lookout for other kids, you know, who may be on other boats. And unfortunately with boating, a lot of times there, the adults, there's alcohol involved. And so, People have been run over by boats, all kinds of awful things. Uh, so again, if you're the parent and you've got a boat full of kids, you should not be uh, partaking of alcohol and leave, leave the driving to someone who is not, does not have any impairments due to alcohol. Excellent point, Kat. The other thing is that we should be good models. So if you're the adult in the boat, you should be wearing a, a life jacket also to get to be good mo modeling for the children and uh, for the teenagers, especially. And drinking again, you brought that up, drinking and boating, not a good combination. So. All right, great. Well, let's shift away from the water a little bit and talk a little bit about hiking. Um, hiking and exploring nature are common activities for the summer and, and generally thought of as pretty safe, uh, but are there tips that you recommend for ensuring safe exploration? Absolutely. 
So um, this past August, there was a young family and their dog who were found on a hiking trail who had all died. Um, and so there was a huge investigation. This was at Yosemite. And they finally determined like two months later that these young parents and their one-year-old daughter died from hyperthermia with a possible dehydration due to the ex uh, environmental exposure. They had hiked 6.1 miles and the temperature ranged from the 70s to 108 and the trail had no shade. They, um, the sheriffs did find an 85 ounce water bottle that was with the couple, but there was no other water containers present. So again, if you're hiking, you need to know the conditions and the weather can change rapidly if you're in the mountains. We hiked a lot in the Canadian Rockies and you could be warm and then two hours later, there's a hailstorm. So being prepared, layering your clothing, make sure you have plenty of water and also you know, snacks and things like that. It's hard to believe, but a lot of these areas, in, when you're going in the back country, your cell phone doesn't work back there. So knowing you know, your trail maps without your phone, you know, we're so used to plugging in a route in our phone and following that, well, you know, it <laughs> may not work out there. Letting people know where you're hiking, you know, your time frame keeping additional water and food in your car in case you run out of water and you're able to make it back to your car. So, you know, having a backpack and, you know, having enough water for everybody and you can get those little emergency blankets that fold up to like the size of your cell phone and, you know, if you're going on a trail that you're not very familiar with, making sure you download those maps and print them out. The other thing is when you're done hiking, always do a tick check, no matter where you are. Ticks are, are everywhere and ticks in various areas can lead, uh, can cause uh, or transmit different types of diseases such as Lyme disease or leukiosis, babesiosis, Rocky Mountain spotted, spotted fever. So definitely doing a, chick, a tick check after you come home from hiking or when you get to your next, wherever you're staying, um, is very important to be sure you get any ticks off. Excellent advice. And I have to say all of this, you know, thinking about it just really can save lives for all of this, you know, robust um, tips and preparedness that we've talked about so far. Um, but another popular activity in the summer, particularly around the 4th of July is fireworks. So could you talk a little bit about some tips on how families can celebrate while keeping their children safe? I'm so glad we're talking about fireworks because May is also National Trauma Awareness Month. And in the US, over 3,000 kids under the age of 15 years go to the ED due to firework injuries. Uh, sparklers account for one third of injuries for children under five years of age. It's hard to believe, but those sparklers can heat up to 
1200 degrees. The uh, US Consumer Product Safety Commission also just released a report and found a 50-50 increase in deaths and injuries from fire-related incidents from 2020 compared to 2019. And here at my facility, around 4th of July, we get kids with burns on their hands. We've had children lose vision in their eye from a firework-related injury. We've seen uh, hands uh, with fingers blown off. And about 30% uh, are hand and finger injury. And eye injuries are a third were third most common part of the area injured. Burns are also very common. So some of the fireworks safety tips, go to a public fireworks display, leave the firework lighting to professionals. Instead of using sparklers, give the kids glow sticks. Kids should not be near the fireworks, have them stay a safe distance away, always under adult sober supervision. If you're lighting some in your neighborhood, keep a bucket of water or a garden hose handy just in case a little fire starts. Um, if a malfunctioning firework, if the firework doesn't explode, don't try to relight them or handle them. Put them in a bucket of water and then throw them away. And again, Fireworks aren't legal in every area. So you need to know the rules in the community you live in. And again, not to use fireworks while impaired with uh, alcohol or drugs. Well, some great advice. And I have to say, wow, um, some really sobering news about sparklers uh, causing a third of injuries. So um, really excellent that we're talking about this today. Now, as we've talked during this conversation, we have talked a little bit about emergency drills or kits. Um, is there anything else uh, related to those drills or kits that you would like to highlight today um, before we prepare to wrap up our conversation? Sure. You can build your own kit, you know, depending on the area of the country you live in. Um, you can buy pre-made kits on different websites like the American Red Cross or Amazon. For your home kit, what's really important is you should count on one gallon of water per person per day in case there's a huge disaster and there isn't any clean water. You always wanna have a three-day supply of non-perishable food. Another important item to have is a hand crank radio. In some of these weather events, we may lose power for quite a while. So having a hand crank flashlight and a radio are really important so you know what's going on. A lot of the you know, families in hurricane regions um, purchase generators. Those are pricey and you have to maintain them you know, in order to have electricity. People with solar panels, everybody, oh, well, can't we just tap into that? 
well, you have to have special storage batteries to store that, and that can be fairly expensive. So anyhow, just you know, having general items on hand for your car kit, non, you know, I keep granola bars, some water, you know, maybe some Gatorade and remembering to rotate things out as they're expiring, an emergency blanket, um, you know, those types of things and having chargers for your cell phone, those those types of things and knowing your family emergency plan and communication plan are, are super important. Well, thank you so much for that. You know, one thing out of that, as you were talking, I thought, wow, that one gallon per person of water per day really stood out to me. So I just wanted to highlight that again. Um, so great tips for that. And then we also have talked about some of the suggested resources for patients and families or colleagues um, to learn more about summer preparedness. Um, but are there any others that you'd like to highlight? Well, on uh, NAPNAP, our the Children in Disaster SIG, we have created um, weather-related preparedness plans. So napnap.org slash b hyphen prepare ready.gov, the American Academy of Pediatrics has information, safekids.org, kidsandcars.org, cdc.gov slash disasters. All of them have weather related um, and general preparedness documents and lists and fillable forms things like that. And there's also the American Red Cross and FEMA who also have, that also have information. Oh, excellent. And some of these we can go ahead and post on our website when we launch this episode as well. So what a fascinating discussion and such important topics. I would like to extend my sincere thanks to both Kat Goodhue and Tina Rickenback for joining me today to discuss summer preparedness. Such an important topic in keeping kids safe, happy, and healthy. Thank you for all that you do as experts in pediatrics and advocates for children to educate families and providers on preparedness. For our listeners, thank you for joining. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Team Peds Talks in our special summer mini-series. Please listen to our entire series, which launches episodes on Thursdays. The National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners has other Team Peds Talks podcast series to share with the pediatric healthcare community, including episodes on nurse practitioner leadership and career development, conversations on child health equity, child and adolescent mental health, and pediatric emergency care. Thank you for tuning in.